today when you hear the word AI, people tend to think of like robots or Terminator. And But in reality, it's actually just math. And so what's really interesting is there are certain pieces of data that if you collect it for lots and lots of people, you find these patterns that emerge over time. So if you're a brand, you can actually take everything you know about all your customers and all your products, actually use those, those trends and patterns to incentivize people to make new purchases. Welcome back to another episode of the Debutify podcast. Today, I spoke with Shanif Danani, who was a complete wealth of knowledge in terms of AI and modeling and e-commerce brands. Really hope that you enjoy this lesson as much as I did. So here it is. Well, Shanif, thank you so much for coming. I hope that you're doing well today uh, coming out of New York. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm Connor. We're going to have a lovely talk today. I know you've got a, a pretty awesome background as an engineer. I guess a nice way to start is just, can you walk us through that? I know you worked at Twitter. And yeah, just just give us your your life story as well. Outside of work too, you don't have to. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, I, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to chat with you. It's rare I get to chat with folks from uh, the other side of the world. So looking forward to it. Yeah, so you know, really quickly about me. I've always loved technology. You know, For me, being able to sit down and, and program something has always been sort of a interesting exercise. So before, you know, the way I got into it was I just kind of taught myself how to program in JavaScript and HTML and then taught myself along the way. Did that in school. And ultimately, you know, I try to be well-rounded as well. So I ended up going to business school. And when I was there, I ended up joining up with a couple of my my buddies and we helped create this company called Tap Commerce. It was kind of my first real startup. It was an ad tech platform uh, when mobile phones were still getting big. So I was doing engineering for them and sort of got back into statistics and AI, which I had done in school. So I did that. We were very fortunate. We got sold to Twitter. So I worked at Twitter, you know, as you saw, for a few years. I was doing all sorts of interesting stuff. Everything from predicting, you know, who was going to click on an ad, all the way to like understanding and optimizing their onboarding flow to see if we could make it easier for people to sign up for the app. Then, you know, decided to start my current company, uh, Aptio, which again, we're using data and AI to help e-commerce brands. So... Hopefully that was not boring or, or snooze-inducing, but that's kind of my background. No, 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 no. That's awesome. It's nice to hear the full story. I didn't know that you were um, like bought out and then you were then working at Twitter. Yeah. And we were very lucky. You know, It was one of those days where everything was just starting starting from scratch with the world of mobile and mobile advertising. And so we, we were just kind of at the right place at the right time. Yeah, totally. Is it right if you go into like, tell us about predictions. How do you like yeah. know so much about a person? And you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I think I've mentioned this before, but today when you hear the word AI, people tend to think of like robots or Terminator and, and stuff like that. But in reality, it's actually just math. It's math and statistics. And so you can pretty much quantify everything today. Like how much, you know, is somebody male or female or how many times did they buy a product or even what zip code, you know, in the US, what zip code are you living in? And so what's really interesting is there are certain pieces of data that if you collect it for lots and lots of people, you find these these patterns that emerge over time. So if you're a brand, if you're an e-commerce brand and you've got good customer data, you can actually take everything you know about all your customers and all your products, you know, everything you're doing, actually use those, those trends and patterns to incentivize people to make new purchases. So for example, you know, a lot of a lot of the brands that we work with are let's say fashion companies. Some, some of these companies have you know, tens of thousands of products, but you could group these products into similar categories and like dresses and shoes and 
you can actually predict which customer is likely to buy from which category, like a dress or a shoe. And you can even predict down to the, to the product level uh, just by analyzing what you know about that customer, comparing it to other customers, seeing what those customers have done in the past and what they went on to do in the future. Uh, so I'm not going to get super technical, but it just comes down to using all the data you have to take a look at what you know about somebody uh, historically, what did they go on to do in the future, and then applying that to what you know today. Just quick though, so with the predictions, like how how accurate, I mean, like generally speaking, yeah. how accurate How accurate can you be when you look, to, it's like a lookalike audience kind of thing, right? Yeah, there's a few ways you could do things. So there's a few ways that we use predictions. One of the ways we do it is we, we try to figure out which products, for example, people are likely to buy, and then we group those, those people together. So if you're a really large store, so we build, we build these AI models individually for each store. So if you're a really large store and you've got a bunch of data, you can get pretty accurate. Now you can have, there's certain metrics that you can take a look at in the world of AI. There's area under the curve, there's a ROC. What we like to look at though, uh, and these are some of the things we look at. We look at, you know, when it comes to accurate predictions, what's the recall, which is different than the accuracy. Like how, how good is the model at actually figuring out if somebody goes to buy a product next? Different stores will have different metrics for that. And so if you're thinking about this at an aggregate level, it's hard to compare a brand that's got maybe 5,000 historical customers with somebody that's got you know, 2 million. So when we think about accuracy, what we actually try to think about is how is the marketer using these predictions in their business? And so what we look at is going one step further and saying, okay, regardless of how accurate the model is or the AI is, if we are grouping people together based on the products that they're likely to buy, are they actually buying those products? You know, if we're sending them an email for a particular product, are they actually buying them? Or if we're saying, look, this group of people are likely to be your biggest spenders in the future, are they actually going on and spending, you know, more money in the future? And so from that perspective, we do pretty well. So we are usually able to drive a lot of incremental purchases uh, of specific products when we show those products to people, let's say, for example, in an email or an ad. But, you know, people... People are funny. They're not going to make a purchase maybe the first time you send an email or the second time. There's this kind of art and science to marketing where the science is, okay, who's likely to make a purchase? But you have to be able to kind of incentivize them. So do you send them discounts? Do you target them on Facebook and Clavio and SMS? Or do you just use one channel? And so I'm going into sort of the application of our AI, and maybe it's a little bit beyond the scope of your question. But... When we're thinking about the AI, it's really how do we incentivize people to make purchases? And from that perspective, especially for larger stores, we do very well. From smaller stores, we can actually still drive incremental purchases, sometimes $2,000, $3,000 a week for a really small store. So that's kind of how we think about it. But if you want, you know, I'm happy to talk exactly how the AI works, which is basically you try to predict uh, the probability that somebody's going to make a purchase on each individual product, and then you compare that to the likelihood of them actually buying it like did they or did they not buy it yeah so that's the feedback loop hey that final piece did yeah. they or did they not buy it you you then put that back into aptio that's exactly it, right that's exactly right so every 30 days we basically update you know an ai system is the same as like a model that's what i'm going to refer to it as a model is basically just this mathematical equation this monstrous equation if you can think about it that takes everything you know about a person and spits out a probability. And so every 30 days, we update this model. You know, we add in all the data that we've gotten over the past 30 days, and we say, okay, did this person go on to buy something? Did this person not go on to buy something? And you close the feedback loop. 
but you continuously do that. You refresh it every, uh, in our case, every 30 days. And then you actually use that updated model to make an updated prediction once a day. So you update it with new data every 30 days. You come up with a new prediction once a day because time, as time goes on, your predictions will change. And so updating your predictions at once a day will take that into account. Um, now, this isn't necessarily how most how every company does it. At Twitter, we had a system that could actually take into account every time you saw an ad, that was a feedback loop. Did you or did you not click it? And other systems, maybe they don't even update you know, at all. Maybe they're just a static system that's used for one small thing and then they forget about it. And so there's different ways of doing it. But yeah, to answer your question, actually the most one of the most important parts of the AI is saying to the AI or giving the AI data about did somebody actually go on to make a purchase or not? Because that's, that's actually how it learns. Actually, yeah, it's incredibly simple, I guess. It's just like sort of uh, teaching it's teaching a dog this is this is good and it's taken me it's taken me about 10 years to be ex, to be able to explain it in a way that I just explained it because the the way you actually put this stuff into prog- into play can be both technical as well as mathematically sort of complicated yeah yeah no i understand that how did you come to come up with this idea i've always loved the the idea that you could take data you can take something that you know and predict the future so I've always been sort of enthralled by data science. Now you combine that with one of my hobbies from about 10 or 11 years ago, which was options trading. And you've got this sort of beginnings of a system where somebody like me was trading stock options to make some money, doing it with my gut instinct, wanting to make it a little bit more systematic and had this interest of using AI to basically help me with my options. So actually when we started Aptio a few years ago, we were applying AI to finance. We were actually using it to try to pick stocks and try to figure out which stocks were going to do really well. And we actually built our first product around that. We had this sort of stock picking system that anybody could sign up for. I think it was really simple. It was like a list basically from one to a hundred. And we tried to sell that thing and nobody, nobody would buy it. This was about four years ago. And what's funny is about two or three years ago, no one's interested in that. It's funny, you know, it's funny because we tried to sell to the individual retail trader like you and me, and uh, nobody really cared because they weren't managing, nobody was really managing their money. They're all just putting it into index funds Mm -hmm. uh, and letting it sit, except for like a few people. And you would try to sell it to finance firms and, you know, they would all require these long sort of back tests and they were very skeptical. So we had to pivot. We had to sort of change what we were doing and we eventually changed. We found that we we built sort of a, a bigger system where it was analyzing data, not just from finance companies, but from any company. You could put your data into the system and it would spit out predictions. And we saw that the only people that were using that system were marketing experts from e-commerce. So we said, all right, screw it. Let's just go hardcore into the world of e-commerce. Let's talk to a lot of e-commerce marketers. Let's figure out what they want. And so we eventually built the system for them. What's funny is two years after we we pivoted, people kept coming up to me like, hey, can you rebuild that system? Like your stock picks it amazing. Like I can't do this myself. Can you guys rebuild it? Can I have access? I'm like, guys, you should have told me two years ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how we got to where we are today. It's lots Mm -hmm. of talking to people and experimenting and sort of that quintessential product market fit journey that most startups go to. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't understand what it's like to be running a startup, but uh, I've worked in a few as an employee and they're pretty fun. They are, they are. I love it because you're able to make a big impact. You're able to make sort of something that people care about and they use, hopefully they're using it. And for me, that's a good feeling. 
Yeah, yeah, I imagine. So how did you come to realize that only e-commerce marketers were doing hardcore <laughs> AI research? You know, it's funny. I used to I used to be of the opinion that you just build a product and people will use it. But you know, the first couple of times we did that, it wasn't it wasn't working. So I brought on somebody who was doing sales and he would just talk to people all day, every day. And so he was like, Hey guys, to so me and my engineering team, he would say, Hey, this is what these customers are doing. They want something that can understand which of their customers are likely to come back and spend more or which of their customers might not. They want to understand if somebody doesn't come back, like, why didn't they come back? And so we started just, yeah, just talking to people, interviewing them, doing a little bit of pre-sales, trying to figure out, you know, if we build something, would they buy it? And if not, why not? We got a couple of what we called customer advisors early days where we would basically bring on people to tell us what they needed. We would build it, build something to solve that problem, put it back in front of them and say, Hey, does this solve your needs? Iterate a couple of times like this and you have a product that, you know, you have initial feedback on. So a lot of it was just, yeah, talking to people. Yeah. Awesome. That is a lesson in business right there. It really is. I wish I had known that. Humble yourself. I wish I had known that earlier. I mean, you're probably doing pretty all right now because of it. We're better. We're way better than we were, but uh, when you're a startup, every day is like a, is like a mountain to climb. And so some days are better than others, but uh, we're certainly better off than we were, you know, a couple of years ago. True. What's been one of the worst days? Or like sort of projects that you want. Oh, that's interesting. Startups are tough because you have, you're basically trying to build something that you're not sure if it's going to work or not with sometimes people you've never worked with before. So, you know, I had a couple of co-founders who I was working with. They decided, hey, look, like not really able to make financial, like I'm not able to get the financial needs that I, that I need to have while I'm working for a startup. So they have to go and take full-time jobs. So that was tough. You know, anytime somebody has to leave because they just, you know, they, they can't work, they can't afford to work at a startup. That's always a little bit tough. There have been days where, you know, a couple of invest, like three or four investors who I thought, you know, might come through all sort of said no on the same day. That was tough. Uh, so there's lots, definitely like, yeah, there's definitely lots of those. But at the same time, when you close a deal or when you, when you talk to a customer and they're like, hey, you just made me, you know, $20,000 those are days that pick you up. And so for me, I really like just helping people. I've sort of had to work really, really hard to make my way through life. And so if e-commerce owners are very similar in that they're working really, really hard on their sites and their stores to gain financial freedom. And so if I can help somebody like that, it actually makes my day. So yeah, there's good and bad. Um, And those are some of the, yeah, those are some of the examples that I can come up with right off the top of my head. True. Has it been you're thinking about uh, how it could have gone differently? You've been doing yeah. this. You've been, you've been out on your own with your co-founders for the last four years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How has that impacted your wider life? Like, have you moved house? It, have you? I'll kind of phrase it in two ways. One, I was very fortunate to have the outcome that I had from Tap Commerce, which was the first startup I did. So that gave me a lot of financial freedom to experiment. But when I was doing Tap Commerce. I was I was sleeping on a friend's couch for six months because I couldn't afford rent. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how was I going to pay for food and how was I going to pay? That was perhaps one of the most uh, stressful days of my, stressful times of my life. Now, fortunately, we got through it. I had some brilliant, brilliant co-founders. I feel very lucky to kind of have been along for the ride with them. Aptio has been a little bit different. As a founder myself this time, the first couple of years, I was very, you know, the the identity of the startup was very closely tied to my identity. Like if something wasn't going wrong, it means I wasn't doing a good enough job. I was always of the opinion that you got to work, work, work. If you work enough, 
it's going to, it's going to work out. And then after, you know, a couple of years of doing that and sort of not much change, you sort of realize that that's not going to be the case. Like no matter how hard you work, sometimes it might just be something that's not going to work. Um, and if something goes wrong, it's maybe not always your fault. And so the way it's kind of changed my life is it has sort of helped me see perspective like a little bit more. When I was a little bit younger, I was very much of the opinion that, you know, if you just work hard, you're going to be able to do really well in life. And so just work really hard and you're going to be okay. Now I'm kind of like, there's the journey, which matters a lot, a lot as well. So like, be good to people, enjoy what you're doing, try to figure out new ways to come up with, you know, a solution to a problem. Those are all valuable as well, regardless of, you know, the outcome. And if I'm not killing myself to do these things, then I'm going to be in, in good shape. So that's one way sort of gaining perspective on, you know, the journey and the work ethic, I think is one thing that's affected me. The other thing, you know, that you might find surprising is at one point, I just, I thought we were going to have to shut down and I had to come to terms with that. And by coming to terms with it, it actually was like a huge load off. And so the other thing that I've kind of learned, fortunately, we, we haven't had to shut down yet. We're just hopefully going strong now. But the thing I had to learn when I had to come to terms with it is, hey, look, it's something you tried. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. So, you know, the, the sort of emotional release that you get from something like coming to terms with something not working out, uh, was a, it's a really good sort of experience and learning, yeah, learning experience to have. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable here. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's inspiring and scary. It, is, it has been by far the hardest thing I've ever done, but also I'm the type of person, I find it a lot more sort of valuable. I find it a lot more inspiring to work on something where I can make a big impact rather than maybe working on a corporate job where I'm not making a huge impact and not making a big, you know, a big move. So for me, I like it. I don't know if I could ever work at another corporate job. I also don't know if I should ever do another startup after this one, but I'm not thinking about <laughs> that quite yet. I'm still working hard to finish off this one. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, good luck. Thank you, sir. Okay, so tell me about your thoughts for people who don't know your writing about uh, machine learning and deep learning specifically. I, I'm personally quite interested in you know human bias in these things, setting it up right. I've been you know thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not on the tools, but theoretically, it's very interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, machine learning and deep learning are such a big topic. Uh, I'll talk about what you just said first, which is the bias in terms of introducing bias into a system and how can you start to avoid it? So if you go back to what I said a few minutes ago, AI is at its core, it's just math. Uh, and math is basically just taking a bunch of data and finding the relationships with them. So when you are basically, let's say, training a system to, I don't know, detect faces or screen candidates for, you know, job opportunities based on their resume, you're taking a whole bunch of stuff that you already have in terms of the data, images or resumes or whatever it is, and you are linking them to the outcome or to whatever it is that you want the system to learn. Here's a good example. Maybe you're taking resumes of your current employees and saying these are really good employee, these are really good resumes. So that whenever somebody who's not a current employee submits the resume, if they find something that looks like your current employee's resume, it's going to send them to the next stage. Now, what happens if your employee base is, you know, not diverse at all? What happens if they're mostly male or mostly white or mostly engineers or mostly from one part of the world? What's going to happen is the AI system, because it's just math, is going to find people who have very similar resumes. 
And that means it's going to discard, discard people who don't have similar resumes, uh, but who might still be a good fit for your company. So when people are talking about bias, when it comes to AI systems, when it comes to there's sort of bias, it's funny because bias is actually a term in the world of data science that has a specific technical meaning. But most people are talking about human bias, which is where the AI system, it's not doing what, it, what you think it should be doing, but it's doing exactly what you told it to do, which is you know, not always what you want. So in order to set up a system like that properly, there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen. Like first, you have to understand is bias, is human bias something that I have to take into account for the project that I'm working on? So for example, it doesn't matter if our system, if the Aptio system maybe misqualifies somebody as likely or not likely to buy a product. Maybe not. But doesn't matter if an AI system flags you for screening at an airport because you look like you might have, I don't know, something on you or whatever, yeah, then it matters. Then it's a real big problem. So once you've identified that it's a problem, a lot of work has to go into preparing a data set that can account for any biases that you as a human can come up with. What's kind of weird here is that we as humans need to input our judgment into what could be biasing a system that hasn't even been built yet. So we obviously know things about like race, gender, socioeconomic status. We can account for all of those biases by putting together a data set that has, you know, equal examples from, from everything we care about. But what happens if you, if you miss something or if you forget about something that you didn't know was a bias and then you train an AI system and it goes through and encounters that bias? Well, then it's going to be biased. And so you're going to have to figure out how much, uh, how bad is it again? How bad is it if an AI system uh, is biased or not? And that's why I still think there's more value in what I call like man and machine or, or human and machine rather than just machine itself. I think an AI system can inform decisions and sometimes maybe it makes 99% of a decision, but sometimes you might want a human in the loop to figure out if that decision should be carried forward or not. And so that's why I like systems where you sort of take a lot of the analytics and the analysis out of the work, you give that to the machine because the machine's really good at that. And then you take what the machine spits out and you say, okay, let's move forward or let's make some tweaks and go from there. That's sort of the bias that you hear about a lot from the media perspective. Does that sort of answer the question in terms of what you're looking at, Connor, or anything else you wanted to dive into there? No, yeah, that's a really succinct explanation, actually. How many people do you have in that room? Like, you have to be a pretty smart person to be like, okay, I'm going to decide. It's funny because you almost want, I don't know if I like this term or not, but you almost want a multidisciplinary team mm. where you've got sociologists. So, yeah, do that. Yep, yep, exactly. You've got people from multiple walks of life. The worst thing you could do is just have a bunch of AI engineers in a room trying to figure this stuff out. So if you're Google and you're trying to build a system like an image classification system or or even like if you're somebody building a facial recognition system, you're going to want you're going to want a good, diverse representation of people in the room to figure out, you know, one, should you even build this system? And sometimes you don't have an option. Sometimes you have a contract or sometimes that's what your company does. But it's worth talking about. Should you even build it? Assuming you have to build it, how do you build it so that, one, it does its job, but two, it doesn't sort of bias you? So I, I think, like, you're just going to need enough people to talk about how to do these things. And I think you're going to need a system of checks and balances where... Just like with any organization, you've got the people who build it, you've got the managers, you've got the people who are the stakeholders. You're going to want to make sure you've got a similar setup here so that you minimize the risk of something falling through the cracks. You know, we as humans are never going to get everything right. 
but we could minimize risk. And that's something that you could do with an organizational team like this. So it's funny, you, you've kind of heard me talk a lot about the societal impact, the human impact, and not so much about the tech, because the tech is straightforward, relatively straightforward. Like, let's say you know that you have too much of one class. So when you're trying to predict cancer, for example, something like 99.999% of cancer cases are going to show as false. And so when you've got a system that's trying to predict cancer, you can do things on the technical side to make sure that you don't miss a positive case. You can sort of bias the system, technical bias the system to over predict on cases where there is no cancer, uh, where it says, yes, there is, uh, just in case you, you don't miss it. That's all straightforward. But the harder part is the human part and the societal real, part. Real quick. Yeah. So how is it predicting 99% of cases in cancer because we all are going to get cancer eventually? Or Sorry, maybe I misspoke. 99% of cases are going to say there's no cancer. Like this person, here's this person's charts, their data, they don't have cancer. And the machine is just going to say that by default because 99% of the time we don't have cancer. And so mm, most of the cases right, that it gets to learn from are just are false. And so you have to account for that. There are really good ways to account for that on the technical side, but that's not exactly what we're talking about here. So I wanted to make sure that was clear. Are you using these kinds of things at Aptio? So with Aptio, yes and no. So what we do, we have a couple of different AI models. Uh, one predicts how much money somebody will spend in the future, regardless of what they're going to buy. It's just a single you know, number. The other model predicts which products they're likely to buy. And it's a probability, you know, this product and this person, maybe it's 0.01%. But this product and this person, maybe it's 84%. So those are two models that we're using. And from our perspective, there are certain things we have to do. So when you take a look at an e-commerce store, most of the time, you're not making a purchase. Like most of the time, you've got a ton of customers who only buy once or a ton of visitors. Most people don't go on to buy a second time or a third time. And so you have to correct for that when you try to figure out which customers are likely to make a repeat purchase. Because much like in the cancer case, the model could easily say, nobody's going to come back and make a repeat purchase because almost everybody I see doesn't, doesn't make a repeat purchase. But that's not true. You know that's not true. So you have to sort of tweak and adjust the model so that it can make reasonable predictions, you know, knowing this. There's a few things that can help here, but as a data scientist, a lot of your job is doing things like cleaning up the data, looking at a model's performance, tweaking it, trying to figure out how to make it better. So we are doing we are doing a lot of that. We're not doing a lot of sort of human bias correction though. Like we're not putting necessarily racial information into the models. We're not sort of doing this sort of stuff that I just mentioned. And a lot of that just goes back to one, we're a small startup. And so we just have to make sure we can stick around for the next six months. And two, you know, let's say we get a prediction wrong. It's a very, very minimal impact to society and to our business. And so it's one of those things where it doesn't necessarily need to be done today. But if we get bigger and let's say we started to, let's say we started to get into other businesses or we started to like, I don't know, predict stuff like which health plan somebody should be using or something that's sort of out of the world of what we're doing right now, that is something that we would have to think about. And that is something where we would bring on sort of a good team to start figuring out how do we build something like that. I was gonna ask you this anyway. That is such an awful preface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're here to chat, so no worries. So I was going to say the question I wanted to ask was, what, what's next for, for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're and with me, the startup life, despite my ability to sort of not necessarily tie my entire identity to it, 
still takes up all my time. And so we are in 2022, we're basically making a big push to grow sales and sort of drive more revenue. Uh, and if we're able to do that, we're probably going to try to raise, uh, you know, a notable sort of round of fundraising later this year or next year and just grow the team and really make a solid go of it. Uh, and if we're not able to do that, then it's, it's all good. You know, we gave it our best shot. I'll probably take six months off and then maybe try my next startup. I'm not really thinking about that quite yet because I got, you know, I got some time to take Aptia to the next level and I'm really, really trying to figure out, you know, the best way to do that. Um, so for the next, you know, four, five, six months, it's really going to be heads down. I'm doing a lot of sales and marketing now. So not as much AI as I used to, but hopefully I can bring on, you know, sales and marketers and get back to what, you know, what my specialty is. Uh, but yeah, we'll see if I can, if we can grow the business in the next six months, seven months, I think we're going to be in good shape. Uh, and if not, you know, I, I still got a bunch of ideas in my head that I want to try out for the future. So uh, it's hard to say right now, but that's kind of what the plan is. Awesome. How are you going to go about growing the business? I mean, apart from the funding side, is there any products you can bring out or are you going to do a big marketing campaign? Or For the past couple of months, it was just me who was doing sales. So we brought on two guys to help do you know, direct outreach, direct sales to brands. And I think that's going to help. We're also doing paid sponsorships and e-commerce newsletters and jumping on as many sort of podcasts as I can and obviously doing a lot more content, blogging, doing a lot of case studies. So we've got sort of a push on the sales side and a push on the marketing side. And, you know, hopefully it's going to take off because some of the numbers that we're driving for our customers are pretty, pretty notable. Like we're able to sort of take somebody who's got negative ROAS on Facebook and get them back to positive. We're able to take someone's e-commerce account, or I'm sorry, email account. And if they're not making a bunch of money off of it, but if they have good customer data, we're able to start generating like 20 or 30% of the revenue from email. So certainly like the AI uh, and the stats and the math are all really good at identifying strategies. Now we just have to show people, hey, look, like this is what we do. Hopefully they're willing to give us a free, like we do a free trial. So hopefully they're willing to try us out and go from there. You have quite a nice little plan going. You can, you offer like three months full refund. Yeah, we do. And so, you know, if any of your listeners are out there, you know, what we're offering, if we want to try us out, what we're offering is we've just seen our ability to drive sales. If you're not making more than what we charge, then we'll just give you your money back and you can say, hey, I tried it. We also offer a 30-day period where you don't even pay us. It's not like you even need to be refunded. So first 30 days, you try us out. If you decide to continue on, then you'll pay us after that month. But you'll still get the next two months to say, look, it's not working. Give me my, my money back. So we're just trying to figure out you know, the best ways to get people to try us out. Uh, we know that our product works. Now it's just a matter of you know, getting people to trust us. The world of e-commerce is so crowded and there's so many people that are being sold to all these products and services, it's hard to break through the noise. And so we just wanted to say, look, our product works, try us out and we'll go from there. I actually just had one more though. Um, yeah. You're, you're, you're diving into e-commerce. Your software is so applicable to other fields. On your website is kind of e-commerce centric. Yeah. Are, are you yeah. kind of doing marketing campaigns that I can't see that are... We, at one point, we were working with sort of B2B SaaS companies in addition to e-commerce companies. We've actually had a couple of insurance companies reach out to us. But one thing I learned in startup life is kind of have to focus on one thing and grow into that niche. And so you're right, like we could take data 
from SaaS companies and analyze that and show them, hey, look, this person is likely to churn or cancel their account or this person is not. But for the moment, we're focusing on the world of e-commerce for a variety of reasons. And so if we grow, hopefully down the line, we'll be able to break into many different industries. But you know, for now, we're, we're proving ourselves out in this, this one niche here. Yeah, that's a great idea, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of like what you were asking me, like, what do I specialize in? Because then you can you can take that model and just move right. across. Right, right. And once you've got some initial clients up and running, it's easier to replicate. If you're trying to focus on too many things at once, it's just too much of a hassle for a small team. So it didn't make sense for us to, to spread ourselves too thin. Wicked. I mean, I know that you're probably wanting to go to bed. So thanks so much for your time. It's still early for me, but uh, there's always work to be done. So not going to be sleep it's probably going to be some sort of client you know client work after this nice nice good on you where can i send people um i mean obviously we'll go to aptio.co but also can people reach out to you yeah absolutely so email is really good i respond to email pretty quickly it's uh, shanif at aptio.co that's s-h-a-n-i-f at aptio.co we also have a chat bot on our website and i'm actually the the guy who's responding to it right now so feel free to chat with me and always, yeah, our website is a great place to get more information on us, uh, aptio.co. Awesome. All of those will be in the show notes too. So awesome. yeah, jump into those links to learn more about Shanif. Thank you, Connor. Appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a fun chat. Hey, no worries. Thank you so much for, for jumping on. Um, My pleasure. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Debutify Podcast. If you want to be part of the show, just email us podcast at debutify.com or head over to debutify.com to learn more. Have a great day and good luck with everything.